Hi, and welcome to the Royal Free London Private Patient Units podcast, where we invite our consultants in and ask some questions about health topics and the latest treatments. I'm Tanya Nelson. In today's episode, we invite Professor Owen Epstein, a renowned and pioneering professor of gastroenterology at the Royal Free Hospital, to answer the most frequently asked questions about bowel cancer and capsule colonoscopies. Professor Epstein led the development of the Sheila Sherlock Education Centre and was one of the first gastroenterologists to recognise the role of nurse specialists. He led the development of colonoscopy at Royal Free Hospital and trained many of the registrars and specialist nurse endoscopists. He has a special interest in the innovation of healthcare and the technologies used to ease the patient journey. These include whole bowel wireless capsules, endoscopies and colonoscopies, and breath tests for digestive disorders. Professor Epstein, why is the colon important and where is it in our bodies and what is the function of the colon? I think it's probably important right at the outset just to remind you that um, the digestive tract contains four different organs and is about 25 feet long. I think it's very important to establish at the outset. The beginning bit is the gullet or the esophagus. That's the uh, passage through which you swallow. Uh, food or drink then enters the stomach, which is right at the top of the abdomen. So that's the second organ. The third organ is the small intestine, which is where food is digested. And that's about 20 feet long. You can imagine it. You can stretch it out from one side of the room to the other, 20 feet long. And then the, the last five and a half feet of the digestive tract is what we call the large intestine, otherwise known as the colon. And this is where um, the stools are formed and the body is able to get rid of those elements of digestion which aren't necessary for well-being and nutrition. So it's the last five feet of a 26-foot bowel. Um, In terms of uh, its function, the main function really is to concentrate and impact the waste material that the body doesn't need and excrete it. What are the symptoms of colon disorder and is it possible to diagnose cancer from symptoms? Well, like most of the internal organs in the abdomen, um, the the colon has got a very limited vocabulary. Uh, We don't want to know too much about our digestive tract. After all, it's squeezing and pushing and moving the whole time. And if we were aware of it, uh, it would distract us from daily activities. So we only really become aware of our bowels and particularly our colon if we want to go to the toilet or if there is some disorganization or disorder. So the main symptoms that patients will complain of is something extraordinary happening to their bowel habits. So they may notice that they become intensely constipated, which hadn't been a problem before, or develop diarrhea or develop alternating bowel habit, which could be constipation and diarrhea, never knowing from one day to the next what's, what's, uh, what's going to transpire. Those are very common symptoms of, of, of lower bowel or colonic disorders. Uh, in addition, there is abdominal bloating and distension, which again is rather nonspecific, and rectal bleeding, which of course... Um, is what we would call an alarm feature. And that is something that, you know, really um, allows us to focus very closely on 
um, what's going on in that colon that might be bleeding, and finally, pain and discomfort. Now, excepting for bleeding and even considering bleeding, all of those symptoms can reflect a number of different colon disorders, ranging from irritable bowel syndrome all the way through to cancer, and including inflammatory bowel disease, diverticulosis, etc. So those are the symptoms, but they are rather nonspecific. And is colon cancer a common cancer? It is. I would consider it to be one of the big four, uh, probably the second most uh, common cancer. Remember, the big four would be breast cancer, colon cancer, prostate cancer, lung cancer. So, you know, it is right up there with, you know, the intention to prevent or to treat very early because it is one of the common cancers, particularly occurring over the age of 60. What are the risk factors for colon cancer? All right, so, so probably the most important risk factor is, is a strong family history, but that doesn't mean to say a parent or a grandparent who had colon cancer. A family history which would confer some degree of excessive risk would be a first-degree relative. That would mean either a parent, a brother or a sister, or perhaps even a child under the age of 50, under the age of 50, who develops colon cancer. So that whilst many of us will come across in our lives a relative who develops colon cancer, unless they are young and first-degree relatives, um, one shouldn't be concerned that you might be of excessive risk. So that's the first thing, sort of genetic factors. The second factors which are thought to be important um, are the usual ones that you would think about, for example, smoking, alcohol, poor diet, and of course, age, because the older you are, the more susceptible you are to any kind of illness, including cancer. So they would be the main risk factors. Is it possible to reduce the chance of developing colon cancer? And, and what role does lifestyle play on this? Very good question. Um, Obviously, lifestyle, the general lifestyle advice one would give to humans wishing to um, experience well-being over a long period of time, and that would be to make sure that uh, one gets exercise, keeps one's body mass index or weight uh, to a reasonable level. Usually, the BMI should be 25 or less. That would be a safe body mass index um, to avoid um, both active and passive smoking, to markedly reduce alcohol content to nothing more than for women, perhaps 14 units a week, for men, perhaps a little bit more, although I would say for everybody, a few glasses of wine or a few half pints of beer a week and no more, and eating a, a good balanced diet. So that would be the first lifestyle um, interventions that you might consider. Beyond that, uh, obviously, if there is a family history, like I mentioned before, a young member of the family developing colon cancer, even if you yourself are completely healthy, it's probably worthwhile having a discussion with uh, a GP uh, who may decide to refer you for some sort of screening. And thirdly, to participate in the National Bowel Cancer Screening Program. And because bowel cancer in its early phase can cause a little bit of bleeding, which you may never see. We call it occult bleeding. Um, it's very easy to demonstrate occult blood in stool 
long before anybody notices over bleeding. And so in the UK, over the age of uh, 60, um, you will be notified by the NHS to provide a stool specimen every two years to look for occult blood. And it's really worth doing. It's a, you know, it's, it, it's a minimally interventional test. You do it at home, just take a bit of cling film, put it over the toilet seat, pass a little bit of stool, and then uh, the apparatus is provided for you to um, post off to the analysis clinic. And that has been very helpful in filtering those patients who you know, have no blood from those who have blood, because if you've got a tiny bit of blood in your stool, it, it may be worth investigating. What about polyps? Um, what is a colon polyp and how is a polyp different to cancer? Okay, so everybody is getting wind of the fact that there are these things called polyps in the colon. Polyps are little small growths of the, of the colon. And um, a colon cancer does not pop up out the blue. It doesn't occur over weeks or months. It can take between 10 and 15 years from the develop of a small polyp, which is like a small pimple, really, if you think of it that way. Um, it can take 10 or 15 years for that little tiny pimple to um, grow from being almost invisible to turning into a large polyp, which then has the chance of becoming malignant. So polyps are very common. If you take a population over the age of 60 and you have a look for polyps, about half of us will have polyps. Most of them are tiny. Most of them will never cause any problem in our lives. But in a proportion of patients, um, these will grow. Many of them don't grow, but those that do grow have the chance of becoming cancerous. So there is a continuum from being a tiny, innocuous, not troublesome polyp through to a small percentage of those polyps eventually growing and becoming, uh, transforming into a malignancy. In a, in a way, it's a little bit like freckles and moles. You know, we've all got a freckle or two. Some of us have got more freckles than that. They're completely innocuous. They don't cause any trouble. But if a freckle starts to change and becomes darker in color and grows, et cetera, which is pretty rare, then, of course, you worry about um, that being a melanoma. So but in a sort of analogy, um, that's the way to think about polyps. Most polyps, I'd like to say, in, population, in the older population, never cause cancer, but could. And, and that's the reason why we like to look for them with a view to deciding whether or not they should be removed well before they become cancerous. Is it possible to detect early stage cancer before it becomes life-threatening? Oh, absolutely. Um, um, You know, obviously, because of what I've just mentioned before, uh, the colon needs to be examined to know whether there's a polyp or not. Um, The same as you can only tell if somebody's got freckles if you have a look at their skin. Um, So, yes, we we have tools available that make it um, relatively efficient to have a look at the inner lining of the colon and to determine whether the patient does have a polyp and also to size the polyp to say well you know is it a big one or a small one is it likely to cause uh, life problems or is it something which is just lying around there you know benign and not likely to affect lifestyle uh, in the long run so uh, it, it is it is quite possible to demonstrate um uh, polyps and obviously early cancer before the cancer actually starts to cause trouble by blocking the bowel or bleeding 
um, we can use modern technology to actually inspect the colon to see whether somebody's harboring one of these um, abnormalities. Thank you for joining us on part one with our interview with Professor Owen Epstein. Do join us again next time where he will be talking about capsule colonoscopies. If you want to know more about capsule colonoscopies or see Professor Epstein, please visit us at royalfreeprivatepatients.com. The content of the podcast is intended to provide information only and does not replace a consultation with an appropriately qualified health professional. If you have concerns or questions about your health, please contact your GP. Thank you for listening to this podcast.